Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And this is Chromology. This is episode 104. Um, before we get started, make sure to do all the things. We have Instagram, Facebook, both are at CrimologyPod. We've got an email, CrimologyPod at gmail.com. Uh, send us any suggestions, comments, concerns. Send that all over there, or obviously you can post it or onto our social media pages. Um, obviously, Instagram is where we post pictures of additional content, um, which will be important for an episode specifically like today because we've got additional photos that just help you understand the case a little better when you can see the photos. Um, and then we post our source material and everything onto our Instagram, or our Facebook page. If you want additional content that way. Good job. I'm Thanks. glad you, glad you plugged it that way. Listen, I've got, sometimes I hit it. Sometimes I don't. Or 103. Well, te- I mean, we're 104 now, but 103 episodes in, at least you're starting to uh, figure out how to podcast. Listen, the rest of the episode may not go this way. But I'm doing pretty good now, so I'll take it. Don't get ahead of yourself. Right. Well, with that compliment. Crash and burn incoming. Let's jump right into it. This is episode 104, J.C. Dugard. So June 10th, 1991, J.C. and her family had just moved to South Lake Tahoe in California. The area they moved into was pretty well known for its safety, which is what brought the family there in the first place. Nine months after the family moved in, J.C. was kidnapped. On the morning of June 10th, 1991, 11-year-old J.C. was walking up her street to the bus stop. Her stepfather was standing in the driveway watching her when a car pulls alongside J.C., and before she knows it, she's on the ground paralyzed. The people in the car, husband and wife Philip and Nancy Garrido, had tased her and forced her into their car. J.C.'s stepdad is still in the driveway watching all of this play out. He jumps on a bicycle and tries to chase after the car, but unfortunately they're able to get away. So Philip and Nancy would drive J.C. three hours away from J.C.'s house. So this immediately is like, this is the, like, this is a part in a movie. Literally. This does not seem like real life. Got this nice little quiet neighborhood known for its safety. And then all of a sudden you just, you're a little kid out there, you just get tased. And then you get thrown into the back of a car. And your stepdad is watching it all happen. So you're like... Literally, it's a movie. So when they get to the Garrido's home, J.C. is handcuffed and put into a soundproof shed in the backyard of their home, and she's left there with nothing but a bucket to use as a bathroom. Now, I'm going to start by talking about this backyard. Well, like I said, we'll have pictures on Instagram for you to go look at, and Steve and I sent you pictures so you can look at it. Like this, ba- like you have to look at this backyard. The cup, I mean, it's a pretty big backyard. Yeah. So, like, think of an average backyard area. This backyard was about three average back- backyards, and it's covered with stuff. So, like, we have pictures that we'll put on Instagram. It's like the bird's eye aerial view of the backyard. You can't 
like physically see 90% of this backyard because it's covered with tarps. It's covered with sheds. Like it's covered, like they've created areas out of these tarps. So like from this aerial view, you can't see anything that's going on. Well, and like, I mean, obviously this is 1991, so it didn't quite exist back then, but like, like if like if you looked at this place on Google Maps, you'd be like, okay, something's fishy is going right. on there. Right. There's a big, large structure that looks like the roof is falling in on itself. So there's just like stuff everywhere. Um, and so like literally, like you said, like an average person, we'd look at this backyard and we'd be like, what are you doing in there? But apparently to everybody else, like, this is fine. So, like, this is what JC is get put into. JC gets just put put into one of these sheds. And they're like, okay, great, thanks, bye. So, she would spend a lot of time alone. Philip and Nancy would leave JC in that shed for hours at a time, only coming to see her for little moments of the day. So, she spends a majority of her time alone. So, imagine... An 11 year old girl, that means she'd be in like fourth, fifth grade, just sitting alone in the shed for, for probably 23 hours of the day. I, I don't think I could do that like right now. Now, this is a question that I just thought about. Like, this is a soundproof shed. So, does soundproof also mean that you can't hear anything outside either? Mm. I would assume, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. I, I I know there's like certain things where, yeah, I'm not sure. Because I like it to be a little different if like you could hear maybe stuff that's going on out, mm-hmm. on outside. But like, I mean, first off, just imagine an 11 year old only right. spending like 23 hours in this dark shed alone. Anyways, it's freaking ridiculous, right? Well, especially start. being soundproof. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right because basically you couldn't hear anything going on outside either. That's what I would assume. So like complete silence too. Like that would Ugh, drive a person insane. That would, Yeah. That would not be good for me. At least. Literally just a couple hours. Yeah. And I'd be like, I will do anything. Like 30 minutes. I'd be like, <laughs> okay, we're, we're good now. So Philip would tell JC that the shed was surrounded by dogs that would kill her if she tried to escape. Just basically brainwashing JC with terrifying situations to make her not run away when the couple wasn't there. The brainwashing also continued when Philip brings JC basic items like food and water and telling JC how thankful she, she should be that Philip brought her those things and she should be appreciative. Then the sexual assault starts. Philip starts bringing JC into their home, raping her, and then throwing her back out into the shed by herself. So, like I said, like, obviously we don't, like, I feel like Elizabeth Smart is one of those that we have, like, Mm -hmm. anyways. So, this one isn't, like, we don't know how many hours she was in the shed, but, like, this shows that there was a little bit of time that she's out of the shed. Obviously, it's not a good time that she's having outside of the shed, but then she's being thrown right back into the shed and you're just like, okay, great. Thanks. Right. So this is all she knows. She spends all day in the shed. The only time she's even seeing anybody is when she's being abused or brainwashed or raped. And so imagine as 11 years old, your life completely changes and this is all it is. So then Philip starts explaining to JC that demon angels let him take JC 
to fulfill his sexual desires because society wouldn't let him. Now, if you haven't guessed already, Philip is a registered sex offender. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Before JC, Philip had raped a 14, 19, and 25-year-old and had been convicted of kidnapping before. He was sentenced to serve 50 years, but only ended up serving 11 when he was labeled as not being a menace to society and was released, only to then go and kidnap JC soon after. So you're like, good job, government. Way to go. Oh, I hear I could take another stance on my soapbox, but you know what? It's not worth it on this one. I think everyone's on the soapbox on this one. Yeah, I don't, yeah. So Philip said he heard these demon angels in the walls and they would tell him what to do. Then Philip would go on a day-long drug binges he would call runs. And what he would do is he would go on these runs and then he would force JC to dress in different outfits and perform different sexual scenarios. But after every run was done, JC said that Philip would break down into tears and would apologize about what happened and say that the gods made him do it. Videotapes would later be found of the couple going to parks and filming children. Nacy would be set up like she was filming Phil- that she was filming Philip singing and playing the guitar. But really, she would be filming children playing at the park looking for their next victim. So about a month and a half after JC's kidnapping, Philip moves her to a larger shed and even gives her a TV. But they obviously don't let her watch the news, so she doesn't see what is happening back home. But this is where the brainwashing continues. Philip starts to tell JC that she was protecting other girls by being with them, basically saying, you wouldn't want this to have, like, you wouldn't want have us to have picked someone else, right? Like a sister or a friend. Yeah. So it's a good thing we have you. And then the gifts kept coming. Philip started bringing JC kittens as gifts. Philip telling JC, this wasn't so bad living here, like, Look at these gifts we got you. We give you food. We give you water. We give you cats. Even though soon after Philip would bring these gifts, like these cats, they would disappear. And then JC would never see them again. So it was just a lot of like, well, you wouldn't have wanted us to take your best friend, right? So it's a good thing we took you. And then here's this cat. So like living here isn't that bad, right? Because your parents didn't give you a pet and we give you pets. So literally just brainwashing this poor little 11 year old now back home jc's family has not stopped looking for her jc's mom quits her job to devote every hour of every day looking for jc and even some family friends follow that lead and quit their jobs to devote their time to seeking for jc They pass out thousands of flyers all over California and the surrounding states. They are trying to get JC's pictures and name all over the country so that if JC did find a picture, she would know that they were looking for her and to also let her kidnappers know that they were still looking for her. They even had a songwriter who produced a song for JC that they would play on the radio. So they wanted to use all forms of technology available to get JC's name out there. 
So jumping to April 3rd, 1994, now JC is 13 years old and she's been with Philip and Nancy for almost three years. Philip and Nancy informed JC that they think she is pregnant. But of course, they're not going to take her to a doctor and they tell her she will give birth in her shed and they will do everything for her. So imagine a 13-year-old girl who would have been in middle school This would have been around the time that kids would learn about the reproductive system. But JC has been in the shed for almost three years. So she has no idea what's going on. She has no idea what is going to happen to her or what to do. And now she has to rely on Philip, who said he's going to deliver the baby himself and basically prepare himself by watching YouTube videos on it. But JC was excited to have a baby. Every day was the same for her. She would spend 20 plus hours alone and the only human interaction she was getting was from either Philip or Nancy. And at this point in her isolation, she was even craving human interaction with her kidnappers. So she wouldn't feel alone and unloved. So at this point, she's just like, when she finds out she's going to have a baby, she's excited to have anybody there with her. Right. Um. And frankly, just to have something to do with her day rather than just sit there by herself. So JC would end up delivering this baby. And then four years later, she had another baby. They're both girls. She created a little school for her girls. But remember, she only had up to a fifth grade education. But it was still something for her to do with the kids and just kind of to waste time. Then Nancy grows jealous of JC. Nancy didn't have any children, and now here was J.C. with two kids fathered by her husband, and she grew jealous. So Philip said to help Nancy work through this, that the children needed to grow up thinking Nancy was their mom and that J.C. was their sister. So now the kids are plucked out of J.C.'s hands, and they go live with Nancy. That's so weird. Like... (sighs) I know. I think we've talked about something along these lines before. You're like, what a twisted, like, my wife's jealous of my kidnapped baby mama. Here's the kids. Uh, yeah. You're like, this is so weird. This, yeah, this makes zero sense whatsoever. But And then for some whatever. reason, to add on top of it, Philip tells JC that she needs to change her name. So now she goes by Alyssa. I never really could figure out why they felt like they needed to do the name change um, this far into this. Um, yeah, you would think like like two years in, be like, okay, yeah, your right. name's now this. So I don't know. Huh. Uh, but she goes by Alyssa now. So during the years that JC is with the couple, she gets a little bit more freedom from her shed. She's able to come inside the house a little bit more. She's able to just get out of her shed and and not have to stay in the backyard, period. So Philip decides to start a printing business and he hires JC to work for him. And now JC's just excited to have something to do. On the flip side, this gives JC the opportunity to talk with people other than Philip, Nancy, or her kids. Her first interaction is with a neighbor. The neighbor just asked what her name was, which she said was JC. And the neighbor asked if she lived at the house and JC said yes. 
The neighbor didn't think anything of this conversation and so pretty much just moved on. With this new business, sometimes JC had to talk to customers on the phone, but never once did she try to get help for herself from any of the interactions she's ever had. Now, some people will mention Stockholm Syndrome. What JC was going through was not that. JC didn't love Philip. She didn't want to stay with Philip. You have to put into your mind that this is an 11 year old's girl. Like when you are shut off from the world for years, only seeing two people for years, and the only conversations you're having during that time is just them brainwashing and manipulating you as a child, this gets to you and you start believing them. So she was worried if she tried to get help that the couple would be able to track her down or track and would be able to track what she did and she would get in trouble. And now you have to add on that she's got two kids. Now she has to worry about if they did something to her, like what they hurt the kids. So like she's in this like difficult. So JC um, finds that as the like most frustrating part about her story is that a lot of people will relate it to Stockholm syndrome and she's like yeah this was nothing like Stockholm syndrome (laughs) so this is how life was for JC the same thing from day to day so now we're gonna jump to 2009 now remember Philip's criminal history so during this whole time Philip is on probation so one day Philip's probation officer comes by the house to do a search of the house Now, Nancy records the whole time that the probation officer is there, and we see the probation officer enter into rooms that have children's toys, they've got clothes, there's two beds in the room, and knowing that Philip and Nancy both don't have kids, the parole officer doesn't ask any questions. Like, he's not like, yo, this is different, like, what is this about? Doesn't ask any questions. The probation officer talks to JC directly and doesn't ask questions like, who are you? What are you doing here? Nothing. Then when it comes to the backyard, the probation officer said that the backyard had always looked like this, always a mess and had looked like that the whole time. So he didn't feel like he had to go do a search of it because it's looked away the whole time. So like, why do I need to go search it now? What a loser. Literally. So during the video, they are giving the probation officer a hard time. So you can really tell that he was pretty much just trying to get his stuff done, get everything checked off his list and get out of the house. But it's the fact that you saw the kid's bedroom, you saw JC, and you're just like, all right, thanks. I ticked off my boxes. On to the next. Bye. (sighs) So Once again, what a loser. Yeah. So there was even a time that neighbors called police to say that it looked like children were living in the backyard of the couple's house, but police never came by the house to do anything. So now we're August 24th, 2009. Philip, Nancy, JC, and the two daughters go to the UC Berkeley campus. Philip is looking to get a permit to preach his strange religion and political views on campus, So he is meeting with school officials to get everything worked out. 
two female police officers notice how JC and the two daughters are acting strange around Philip and Nancy. They run a background check on Philip and discover his criminal record. And then they call Philip's parole officer to let him know how they're feeling about the girls being around Philip. When they tell the parole officer about the girls that Philip is calling his daughters, the parole officer tells the police that Philip doesn't have any daughters. So he goes down to the school. So the parole officer goes down to the school to meet with Philip and the police keep Philip and the group of the, on the grounds for questioning. They start to question JC asking who she really was, but she sticks to her story. She says her name is Alyssa. She's Philip and Nancy's daughter. Like she's sticking to her story. Then Philip's parole officer comes in asking Philip who the girls were. And then finally, after some time, Philip admits that he had kidnapped JC and admits to who the girls really were. So now that police know who JC is, they ask JC questions again when finally JC says she is too scared to say her real name out loud. So she asks police for paper where she writes down her name, JC Dugard. When police tell JC that she's able to call her mom and let her know that she's been found, this is how brainwashed and manipulated JC is. Her response was, I can, like, I won't get in trouble. Are you sure? So, like, that's how. That's messed up. I know. Like, like she's like, are you sure? Like, that's I'm not... like seven levels of messed Literally. up. So, JC had been away from her family for 18 years. At this point, her daughters were 15 and 11 years old. She spent more of her life with Philip and Nancy than she did her own family. So Philip and Nancy were arrested and later both entered plea deals. On April 28, 2011, Philip was sentenced to 431 years to life in prison. Nancy was sentenced to 36 years. JC wrote a book of her life and shares a message that if you see something and you get that gut feeling that something is wrong, say something. Even if you're wrong, you could potentially save someone's life, specifically with young children. The state of California granted JC $20 million because of that parole officer coming into the house and not finding the three girls. I don't think $20 million is not uh, near enough. I mean... I mean, to be f- honest... The amount of therapy they'll have to go through, the amount of crap that they'll have, like... <laughs> hmm. Oh, also, we didn't start off by saying this one. I did not know this one. I didn't know this one either. I think my sister said I needed to do this one. And I was like, but I don't know it. And she's like, everybody knows it. Thanks, Tabba. So if you don't know about this one, you can blame Tabba. (laughs) But there you go. There you go. Good. I mean, it was a crazy one because you're kidnapped at 11 years old and then held for literally 18 years. Golly, I couldn't freaking imagine. So, uh, okay, yeah. How to do the math on that I'll one. tell you what, and I say this all the time, and I, it's morbid, but I say it all the time. If I'm ever kidnapped, I'm dead within a year. Like, I'm not making it a year. Are you sure it wouldn't be the uh, SpongeBob where you just get returned within, like, 30 minutes? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> That'll probably happen. 
But if you're, if I go missing and you can't find me and it's been a year, just know I'm dead at that point. And then that's when I take over the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I do think sometimes, like, if I die, would Steven still do this? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) If you suddenly... I'd morph it into something else. You'd morph it into something else? (laughs) He'd be like, listen, I don't know crime, so like... We're going we're gonna to talk about a small crime that happened, and then we're going to get into the world Let's of sports. Let's talk about sports. <laughs> so there you go. Episode 104. Well, um, what was that? 104. Okay. <laughs> like I said, make sure to go check out our Instagram and our Facebook page. That We will post pictures of that backyard that you need to go look at to understand the story. Um. Make sure to send us crime suggestions at crimeology. What is it? Email crimeologypod at gmail.com. Yeah. Goodness, I was doing good. There we go. <laughs> there was the crash and burn I was talking about. <laughs> All 20, right. So, 20 minutes ago. Before it gets worse, this is Sam. This is Steven. And this is Crimeology. Crimeology.